From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official health care provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. If you listen to our initial episode number 93 released on Thursday morning, this is an updated version as of Thursday night with the latest and final news regarding the game this weekend. After wrestling with the difficult decision regarding Florida's home opener throughout the week, Scott Strickland announced on Thursday night that the game would in fact be canceled and not made up. With that in mind, we wanted to update this episode with the latest comments from the AD about how and why this decision was made. So before we do anything else, here's what Scott Strickland had to say in his comments on Thursday night's edition of WCA Gator Talk. We badly wanted to play this football game. Our team badly wanted to play this football game. And and, uh, I know our fans wanted to... to see the, the orange and blue run out on uh, Steve Spurrier, Florida Field, and, and uh, play this football game. And so we were uh, tracking all week to make decisions to play this game. And as uh, we announced yesterday that we are going to play it at noon, we kind of had decided Tuesday that we were probably going to play it at noon. And the thought behind playing it at noon, very simply, was uh, we could uh, get out in front of the storm coming through north uh, Florida, and we could uh, – give fans who wanted to get here an opportunity to get here and get back safely and, and uh, not do it at night, not have people traveling at night. And uh, as, uh, as we started kind of studying it more and more, and i got to be honest, Coach Mack talked about earlier uh, driving on the interstate southbound and seeing all the northbound traffic. When uh, I guess it was two days ago, I drove by one of my local convenience stores here in Gainesville, and I saw the uh, place to get gas was like, you know, a parking lot. I mean, like jam-packed with cars and uh this was a this was a convenience store a couple miles off the interstate and it was as crowded as i've ever seen it at like a seven o'clock at night and uh just it's it kind of was a warning bell in my head that people number one are heeding the uh, the word in south florida to evacuate but they're coming right up through here and that's probably not going to stop and so we kept tracking on that and uh even after we made the announcement yesterday we made, had a lot of conversations and um Today, we kind of got the sense that the, uh, the state officials were really wanting people to stay off the roads this weekend unless they were using the roadways for evacuation purposes. And at that point, uh, our staff, we looked at each other and we just said, how can we ask fans uh, to come to a football game? Uh, and we even thought about asking fans not to come to a football game. That didn't seem right either. And uh, if you're going to play a game at, uh, at the Swamp, it seems like we should have 88,000 Gator fans with us. We're all in this together. And so to do anything that discourages people from coming to a Florida game, you know, if you start protesting too much and telling people stay away, be safe, we're going to play the game, but you stay away, the next question is why are you even playing the game if you're telling people not to come? So it just seemed like the right thing to do. There's, there's a, this is an event of massive proportions, and uh, it, it's going to impact the southern part of our state first, but uh, it could end up impacting every part of this state. And um, just seems like the wise and prudent thing to do at this point, and, and it's really unfortunate Uh, But hopefully everybody stays safe. We get through this week, and then we have 10 great games of regular season football ahead of us. To hear more from Scott and Coach Mack about the situation, the full episode of WCA Gator Talk is available to stream on FloridaGators.com. Moving on, 
Despite the fact there isn't a game being played this weekend, there is still much to discuss regarding the Gators following their opening loss to Michigan and looking ahead to the future. Recognizing that, we want you to hear the rest of what was on our original episode that we released on Thursday morning, which includes conversations with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry, redshirt senior defensive lineman Jordan Sherritt, and new defensive backs coach Corey Bell. As you listen, please keep in mind that any references to the game against Northern Colorado are because the interviews were conducted prior to Thursday's unexpected cancellation. Getting things started with Scott and Chris, we began by asking the question on most people's minds, what went wrong for the Gators in Dallas? You know, Adam, a lot of things obviously went wrong. Uh, most uh, notably, though, Florida got beat up where it matters most up on the offensive line. And, uh, you know, that was spoken at about ad nauseum afterward. Uh, Jim McElwain, I think, used the word whooped a few times as we've read by now. And uh, it was true. I mean, Michigan, very similar to what we saw in the bowl game uh, less than two years ago. Michigan was a physically uh, more gifted team then, and they were, again, this uh, matchup. And and then, you know, you take that factor in and you start breaking down what happened offensively. Well, if your offensive line's getting beat up, that means your running game's not going to get going. Uh, your quarterback's not going to have a lot of time. is going to be under pressure. And there's just going to be other breakdowns in communication. I mean, that's what we saw. The positive was, you know, the defense kept them in the game, gave them the lead at one point. But that's not going to be enough, uh, Adam. And, uh, you know, the thing that's going to stick out to me about that game is obviously a a disappointing beginning to the season because the fans were really excited. It was a great venue out there, great matchup, and it just wasn't Florida's day. You can just look at uh, across the board, Adam, when you think about it, you know, 27 rushes, 11 yards. Uh, Felipe Franks never really got into a rhythm. He completed a really pretty first uh, first pass for 34 yards down the sideline, Josh Hammond. And after that, he didn't have time and receivers weren't getting open. I believe uh, nine of the 12 uh, Florida possessions were six plays or less. And, you know, even the positives, when you think about it, Florida got those two pick sixes, scored instantly. Uh, that's great and all, but now the defense is back on the field again. The defense is on the field the whole day. One of the more, more sustained drives, I think, was the – came in the fourth quarter i think that was an eight play drive or nine play drive or whatever where florida actually generated some stuff and with malik zaire in there and got up there but i think there were two or three sacks in that series along the way but uh you know just there there just wasn't a whole lot of a positive and like scott said there were so many people that were excited for this game for the start of this season just you could tell McElwain was a little shell-shocked over this because mm-hmm. the head coach the one who's been telling people this is you know this team's going to be different this is his team it's in year three and the offensive line is the best it's been it's the strength of the team what well, didn't look that way and at the same time i while I'm not a coach, I do know after years and years of watching football, uh, everything's not as it seems. Not all those things probably going on were the fault of the offensive line. The offensive line did not look good, but there were probably some other things going on uh, relative to routes and maybe quarterback reads and stuff like that uh, that led to such a bad performance. I mean, 192 yards of total offense, like I said, 11 yards rushing. So, you know, Florida's they're starting with a lot with a lot of work to do and a lot of places to grow, and it's probably a good thing for them confidence wise to be able to play a game against a team that they should be able to go up and down on the field on because you know all they've heard for the last few days is you know how they weren't very good and now they got to change things around and like McElwain keeps saying he's got confidence in this team he believes he has a good team well um, they're gonna have to go out and improve some stuff to their fans now. One of the things that was probably most surprising for fans was the offensive line, and you guys both touched on it. 
that was really harped on throughout the offseason, especially coming in through camp as McIlwain talking about the strength of the offensive line. What did you guys see from the line? Was there something in particular that was missing that, that they can work on? Because that was probably the biggest disappointment for fans based on what the expectations were. I'm not going to break down technically because I'm like Chris. I'm not a coach, but I have watched a lot of football. And it was just a matter of Michigan was the more physical, stronger team, which was kind of surprising because if you look at the rosters and the starters along the offensive line, I mean, Florida, you know, they actually had a a bigger offensive line than Michigan's um, by average uh, height and weight. But what does that mean? Well, I think Jim McElwain hinted at it starts in the weight room. So it means somewhere maybe there's been a disconnect there with what they need to do compared to what they're doing. I don't know. I just know that when you look, I even watched the game on Sunday, I, something I usually don't do a lot, and just kind of watched what transpired. And, you know, it was really just a dominating performance by Michigan up front. And the, and like I said earlier, I mean, when that goes wrong, a lot of things are going to break down. Like Chris said, it's you know, you can break it down, whether it's route running, a lot of technical issues, miscommunication. Bottom line, if you get beat up, everything's going to go wrong. One thing everyone was looking to see was going to be the quarterback play, and, and we expected to maybe see all three quarterbacks. We ended up seeing Felipe Franks and Malik Zaire, but it was the first time Gator fans had ever seen either one of them play. So I'm curious for your assessment of the quarterbacks. What do you think that they did well, and, and what showed some need for improvement? Well, Felipe Franks, uh, the sample size I don't think is enough to really do him justice five and nine 75 yards he was sacked once again I, like I said he didn't have a whole lot of time doing some things he probably I don't know that uh, he was able to get some accurate reads on some things because Michigan might have been confusing him in some ways uh, again not a lot of time to do stuff Malik Zaire never really had a chance they were blitzing him from the get-go uh, I mean my goodness he was sacked five times that's probably like a third of the snaps that he took so uh, his sample size I'm not sure is is fair um, did not see Luke Del Rio before all said and done, we, we may see Luke Del Rio down the line, but uh, McElwain has determined that Felipe Franks is the guy who needs to stay under center and start the game against uh, Northern Colorado this week. But really, really hard to uh, you know ballpark and give an idea of what those quarterbacks did under those circumstances because they were facing. Uh, Michigan was the number one defense in the country last year, total yards allowed and scoring. And they didn't start one player that was a starter on that team last year. They had one returning start. He didn't even start. Hmm. And they looked like they didn't miss a beat. So uh, that was a difficult opening game for those guys. Uh, they got to ease them back into things. Maybe Northern Colorado will help that. For me, Adam, I mean, I, I, I'm like Chris. You don't have a great sample size on either guy. But at the same time, I kind of like what I saw from Felipe Franks. Hmm. I mean, he made that throw on the first drive, his first pass of the game. That was a heck of a throw. You know, he's got the arm. We know that. But I thought, he, you know, he's a young quarterback. He's going to make some mistakes like the fumble. But overall, I thought he handled himself well in a difficult situation. And I can see why they're going back to him as a starter. Because if you're going to really take a look at him as your future quarterback, I mean, five and nine, 75 yards and getting yanked in, you know, what, in the late second quarter, early third quarter, it's not really fair to him. And then Malik's there, I think. He was just, by that time, the game was just kind of a free fest for the Michigan defense. And, you know, McElwain pointed out that his biggest takeaway from what he saw from Zaire on film is he was never comfortable in the pocket, looked to run a lot before he looked to throw, never just developed any kind of a comfort zone once he dropped back. And it was obvious. And it was just a lot of breakdowns in there. And, you know, he got kind of got beat up a little bit for what 
little time he was in the game. Uh, but I, I just think that, you know, going back to Franks, maybe let him establish himself some against Northern Colorado and uh, gain some confidence. And then, you know, that's the best case scenario. Maybe play the other guys too. But I still think it's important for Franks to get a longer look uh, if, if he's going to be the guy later in the season. I know it's it's tough in the aftermath of a game that just puts a really bad taste in your mouth to pull out positives. But when you look back at it and given a little bit of hindsight, which individuals did you feel like really made an impression and gave Florida something to look forward to here early in the season? I'll give George Sherrod a, uh, an attaboy for his two sacks. And, he, you know, Ja'Kai Polite is a guy who showed up a little bit on the defensive line. Of course, most of the names I'm going to throw your way are going to be defensive guys. Uh, David Reese had a, had a good game at the linebacker position. Uh, I had to say one thing about offense. Going into the game, we had heard some – Malik Davis, McElwain said Malik Davis was going to, the freshman tailback from Tampa was going to play a lot. He had one carry for eight yards and uh, we never saw him again. So uh, maybe we'll see more of him after uh, these guys do some evaluating and and maybe he's a guy who can maybe get the running game going. For me, I mean, the biggest positive, you know, I'm going to go with what Chris said. I mean, George Sherritt looks like he's back from his knee injury. David Reese looks like he's going to be a fine replacement at middle linebacker for Jared Davis. And then the biggest thing that I took away is that secondary because now Chauncey Gardner is facing some uncertainty, got hurt that game. They've already lost Marcel Harris for the season. So you're looking at possibly losing two of your four veteran defensive backs by the end of the first game. And now you've got to turn to these young defensive backs, the six freshmen and a couple of redshirt freshmen returning. So those guys are going to be tested. We saw this weekend at college football is a passing game right now, mm-hmm. and uh, it's important for those guys to step up. And C.J. Uh, Henderson played well. Sean Davis, you know, had his moments. Brian Edwards, all those guys, Adam, we're going to be talking about more throughout the year because they're going to be in there. They're going to get a lot of playing time, and it's a positive they got that much playing time in the opener in that environment because uh, they're getting ready to be tested. You know, I'm curious for your guys' thoughts on these kickoff classics now that Florida has gone through one and it, it didn't go according to plan. And even looking at what happened to Florida State, losing DeAndre Francois for the season by taking on Alabama, after seeing the way that this played out for Florida and for other big programs this weekend, do you guys feel any different about these kickoff classics than you did before? Do you still think they're good for the program to participate in or do they pose too many risks? For Gator fans watching that game, it might have been great. But Florida and Michigan, are you kidding me? Uh, Florida State and, and Alabama. I mean, the other games that were played this week, the West Virginia and the Virginia Tech game, UCLA and Texas A&M, and then a game Monday night between uh, uh, Georgia Tech and Tennessee. Those were great football games, great intersectional games. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of stuff I like to see coming out of the box. Does it hurt teams' big-picture chances down the line? Yeah, that has a lot to do with the fact that only four teams can make the playoffs or whatever. But – Man, there were some outstanding football games that kept people up until 12 o'clock at night. Whether that's a good thing or not, I don't know. But I sure was uh, riveted to some of those games played over the weekend. I, I got nothing bad to say about that. I love the kickoff games. I wish, uh, you know, Florida could be in some more of them. But uh, it was just good to finally be in one after, you know, three decades. You like pizza and beer, Adam? <laughs> I mean, when you put it like that, I, I guess so, yeah. Yeah, well, that's kind of how I feel about these kickoff classics because what else do you need? That's a good point. Um, another thing going on around sports right now that I want to touch on for our PAT this week, which was very popular in its opening week, uh, it's again about records, but this one is about the home run record because, as we know, 
Uh, Giancarlo Stanton is chasing the home run record right now, the single season mark. And the debate is, what is the actual record? Is it 61, which Stanton had said at one point in an interview and then sort of tried to take back because it stirred up some controversy? Or is it the Barry Bonds mark? What do you guys believe the real home run record is that history should recognize? Go, Scott. You're the baseball guy. (laughs) Well, I mean... It's a great question, Evan, that one that, you know, obviously Stanton kind of uh, brought to the forefront recently. And I hadn't thought about it that much until I saw that, you know, him get in the news cycle for that. And I don't know. I think we're past the steroid era enough to, you know, the the baseball record book is, is certainly sacred in, in the eyes of true baseball fans. And then, of course, the steroid era just distorted the whole thing. And I think maybe we're we're to a point now we've passed that point to where maybe you know like they did with the Roger Maris maybe there's there's going to be some more asterisks added because I would be fine if they I'm okay with guys like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens getting into the Hall of Fame but only if their plaque says that they played in the steroid era and they were found to have you know used performance enhancing drugs so I would like to actually see some kind of uh i guess established record uh what is the real record because i don't know i haven't covered major league baseball during that era i can tell you i mean you go in a clubhouse and they were whispering about who might be using and look around there was a lot of people in there that suddenly looked a lot different than they did maybe last year (laughs) so you knew something was going on (laughs) but of course it was hard to prove it was hard to get people to talk on the record about it but i do like the fact that it's kind of being brought up uh to debate again and the you know I was what if Stanton hits let's say he ends up with 65 home runs this year that's obviously more than the Babe and Maris and Hank and all those guys hit but it's still shy of Sosa McGuire and Bonds at poster boys for the steroid era uh, you know do you honor that in some way or how do we know that Giancarlo Stanton is not maybe sure. using better performance enhancing stuff that is undetected in the testing so I don't know it's a great question. I don't have the answer, but uh, it's one that certainly is worth debate. To me, the record 61. And I just think it's a travesty the way Roger Maris was treated in his pursuit uh, by Ford Frick and, and, and what have you with the uh, the asterisk. Of all all these records that were broken, uh, none of the others have asterisks. Only, only Roger Maris's because he broke Babe Ruth's record for 61 homers, whereas RBI records, records in a season and stuff like that. None, none of that had anything to do with anything once the schedule went from 154 to 162. Mm-hmm. Um, the steroid years were a travesty. You know, all those people that were cheating. I, I mean, I agree with Scott. At some point, you got to at least acknowledge their existence. And they were great during that time. And yeah, you do have to put the performance enhancing uh, recognition in there if you're going to put these guys in the Hall of Fame. I'll point out also that some of these numbers being put up now, they have to have something to do with the difference in the way the, the ball's jumping out of the ballpark because sure. some, some of the season home run records uh, in totality are going to be broken or whatever. But if you ask me what the home run records, I say it's 61, and I think we'll see Stanton break that this year. Well, luckily, you guys don't require any performance dancing drugs to deliver quality content on Gator Tales, so we thank you guys. Thank you, Adam. Yes, thank you, Adam. Florida may have a young defense overall, but that doesn't mean they're without pockets of experience. Redshirt senior Jordan Sherrod has battled injuries throughout his career in order to show his strength on the D-line, and now healthy, it seems his time has finally come. We began our chat with Jordan by finding out how the team has mentally bounced back from the disappointing trip to Dallas. 
it's tough, definitely a tough pill to swallow. But um, you know, we we watched the film, we corrected a lot of stuff, and uh, so far this week we've really attacked practice the right way, and um, our team is is grown from that. And uh, so we're looking forward to. We just got news that the uh, the game was going to get moved up a little bit, so we're excited. We're even more eager to play now more than ever and get an earlier kickoff. Yeah, can you talk about the impact that that's had? Because so many guys in this team are, are from South Florida, and, and you're you're from Tampa, an area that's also being affected by the hurricane. How is that weighing on everyone as you also try and prepare for a game? Yeah, that's actually it's tough. It's tough because you know, you're dealing with with people and families and. You know, as important as football is to all of us, I mean, there's some things that may be even more important than football. So, you know, it's it's a time where, you know, when we come to the building, we like to you know, get our work in and get better and kind of block out the noise. But at the same time, you know, you have, you know, serious hurricane, you know, in the Atlantic Ocean right now that, you know, it's going to affect a lot of our families. So tough situation. We're handling it the best we can. And we'll play it by ear moving forward. Mm-hmm. As you move forward from last weekend, I know it's hard when when the result doesn't go your way, but what positives did you take away from that performance and and maybe things that stood out on film that you felt good about? Um, I think um, watching watching the film um, as a defensive line specifically, I thought we were were moving fast, we were making plays, we were doing some things. We we did have some mental errors that we're going to fix. And and as a defense as a whole, we did experience some growing pains that that you can kind of expect to see with some first-time players, first-time starters. So I thought it was good to get some of those guys on that big stage and get them that experience early because the way we saw it is they're not freshmen anymore. You know, once you get that that crack of play time and you're playing in front of 90,000, I mean, there's no more excuses, you know, as far as inexperience lies, so. Speaking of that big stage, what was it like playing inside Jerry World, and, and did it live up to your expectations? It's crazy you say that because, I mean, you know, when, when you're in the game, you don't really realize who you're playing in front of or how many people. Or At least that, that's how it is for me. I kind of mm-hmm. block out. Always I'm just focused on, you know, on the task at hand. But it really kind of hit me on Friday when we showed up to the stadium at first, and I just looked around, and, and the place doesn't look like a football stadium. It's unbelievable. I mean, <laughs> you play two football games on top of each other. Right? <laughs> There's a car dealership in there and all types of stuff. So I mean, it, it was right. it was definitely you know a great experience. It's one of those things you know you you remember forever. So definitely would like to come out with a W. But um, I appreciate the opportunity to play there. One of the things the coaches were actually worried about was players getting caught looking at the big screen and, and losing their focus. Did you ever catch yourself starting to drift and look up at the the giant screens up there? <laughs> Oh, no, I did Because when you're on the field, once you want to snap your neck, you're not going to be able to see the the, uh, the screens anyway. I mean, on, on the bench, you're, you're seeing the screen, you're watching the offense go. But, but um, yeah, and on, on the field, you're just looking at Coach Rohn trying to get the next call. I'm curious, playing in, in this kickoff-type game, and there were a lot of them this year with the, some high-profile programs, how did it differ from starting the season the way that you usually do? I mean, obviously, you wanted a better result, but do you feel like it set you up for more success having started out against such a difficult opponent? Yeah, I, I think I think there's definitely ways you can look at it, you know, that it was good. I think um, try to push the guys more, and I try to push myself even harder knowing that our first contest wasn't going to be a cakewalk, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you never treat it that way, but, I mean, there's still a mystery. Michigan's a good team, and you prepare differently, you know. Whether you want to say so or not subconsciously, you're going to sure. you're gonna attack the day differently. So I thought that was good that, you know, we got to play a good team, and it really gives us a good sense of, you know, who we are. You know, maybe we weren't as good as we thought we were. We, we overlooked some things or, you know, as far as tackling and, and other things are concerned, like 
Ahmad Black, you know, one of the guys who's recently come back and helped helped our program and been around our guys, says it's better to lose early than to lose late. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's the truth. You know, there's never been an undefeated you know, national champion here. So maybe getting this, this experience early will help our team. But I, all I know is uh, we've been getting better since then, and we're going to continue to do that. You know, we have to. If we can go back to your early days, can you tell us about where you grew up, your family, and what your parents did for a living? I was born in Miami, and I lived there for about three years. My mom was born in Cuba, came over when she was like 15. My father was born in Israel. He moved to Miami when he was like in his early 20s. So they split up when I was young. I, I moved to Tampa with my mom there, my, my stepfather. And uh, so I moved there with them. And then my father, we always remained in contact, but he married uh, my stepmother and had my, my first sister over there and um, moved back to Israel. Hmm. So I kind of had families in two different countries. So that was, that was unique growing up. And I go every year over there to Israel and now I have three sisters and a brother over there, and I have two brothers, you know, here in the States. So it was kind of a big family. I always grew up mm-hmm. you know, kind of playing sports. My mom, I call my stepdad, but he's my, you know, my father for, you know, all intents and purposes. You know, he pushed me growing up. He's really the reason I, I started playing football and, you know, worked the way I did. And same with my mom, both of them kind of instilled that at an early age. And, and because of that, I, you know, I tried to excel athletically, academically, and everything I, I kind of did growing up. and. And that's kind of translated well to where I am now. What was it that specifically drew you to football? Why why was that the path? Well, first I played baseball, and, and you know that's like the, probably the first sport you can kind of play. I never I never got into soccer, but baseball, basketball, and football. And it's funny because the first season I played, I wasn't the biggest fan of it. I was like, man, it's this guy's bigger than me. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on. Like, I'm not playing quarterback anymore. It was not that fun. And then so second season, I end up I want to play. My dad says to me, he says, well, you know, all your friends are playing. You sure you don't want to play? Are you going to be the only one not playing? I was like, nah, I want to play. Okay. <laughs> and this year, I might have grown a little bit. I was one of the older guys on the team and, you know, got to, you know, exert some force here and there. So then I started realizing how much fun football was. You can go out and just play freely. And I knew at that point that I wanted to play defense because, you can go out there and just hit people that <laughs> you couldn't really do on the playground. You get in trouble for that. So, right. So I think that's what it was. And, you know, ever since then, I just fell in love with the game and been playing ever since. And I think that same kind of joy, that same passion for the game has never wavered, you know, from then till now. Just, you know, even if it's, you know, 110 degrees, which we've had practice like that recently, mm-hmm. it's like I'm still going to find, you know, some takeaways from, you know, just because just it's not every day you get to do something you love. And, and uh, I think we're blessed to be able to do that here. When you were going through the recruiting process, what other schools did you consider, and why did you ultimately choose Florida? I was considering Notre Dame. I went to International Baccalaureate High School in Hillsborough, so I was I was like always going through the the rigorous academic schedule. So I, I wanted to get a great education. So Notre Dame was in there. Stanford was up there. I liked Florida State, and I liked Vanderbilt. I trips pretty much playing at Stanford and Notre Dame for official visits, mm-hmm. and I decided I committed in summer before my senior year. Me and Vernon Hargraves kind of we're still great friends, but we were um, really good friends and close during high school, and we kind of knew that we wanted to go to the University of Florida. And, you know, at first I was saying because he had the opportunity to take some some of these visits I didn't get a chance to do, and he's like, "No, man, like I know Florida's for me," and I was like, "I know too. I just want to." get out there, see some places, sure. 
Coach Musgrave at the time was very supportive of that. But um, when it came down to it, man, I just I didn't feel the need to really go and see other places. I knew this is a place for me. So canceled my visits, committed to Florida, and uh, tried to help recruit. In my opinion, one of the best recruiting classes that we've had in 2013. Over the, the course of your career, you've had some tough setbacks with injuries. Can you take us through those hardships and, and how you bounced back from them? Yeah. Uh, I think the first thing, the first real injury I ever had, I, I actually was I never really missed a game. And then um, my senior year of high school, I tore my ACL. And I think the toughest thing with that was my mindset was great, but I didn't really have the, the system, the structure as far as the rehab mm-hmm. was concerned in Tampa at the time. It wasn't anything like, um, you know, what we have here at the University of Florida. And sure. I was kind of set back and I, I thought I'd be able to contribute early when I got here. And it turns out my knee wasn't ready. And, you know, when it was ready, I kind of went out there and something something wasn't right. But um, I've actually, since then, I had a knee scope on it last year. Not many people know, but I tore my meniscus during camp and they kind of gave me the option whether to play through it or kind of get it done in camp and miss the first few games. And, you know, I knew that Tennessee game was coming up. I didn't want to, you know, miss that. Or, like, that's that's one thing with me is missing games kills me the most, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I decided I liked it just to play through it. And I got as far as I could. I unfortunately missed the Vanderbilt game and had to get surgery on my meniscus then. And luckily the LSU game got rescheduled and I was able to play in that. That's a big one I wanted to play in. Mm-hmm. Towards the end of the season, I um, kind of favoring that right leg. I ended up hurting my knee again. This time the right knee, you know. Mm-hmm. It was a bang, bang play with me and Caleb and got rolled up under and you know, it was unfortunate, but one thing that I think you can look at it, you know, several different ways. I think everything happens for a reason because I've been given some great um, PTs. I have like a team of like four guys who who worked with me for the last seven and a half months, and it wasn't just my right knee. It was really for me figuring out that my left knee was never really fully healed. There was just parts of the rehab process I never really got to. So with the last seven months, I've pretty much been, you know, repairing both you know, both knees and really just perfecting everything. And I, I've never felt, you know, healthier here at the University of Florida. I, my left knee feels like it did before, you know, I ever heard it in high school, which is something I could never have said, you know, before. Right. You know, Paul Silvestri and his staff and, and Georgia and the guys that came over from the OSMI, you know, were able to do for me. So I, I've, I've continued working with them through the season as much as I could. I think that's the biggest difference for me. So now that you're on the field a lot more, people get a chance to see you, and they'll notice your number 17. That's kind of an odd number for a defensive lineman. Is there a story behind the number? Yeah, um, it's funny. Uh, that was the first number I ever wore when I was it was nine years old playing tackle football. They gave me number 17. Huh. So I don't know. I guess I just stuck with it. And luckily I, I got in before Coach Shannon got here because he's not a big fan of uh, the small numbers <laughs> in, in the D-line room. So I don't know if that'll, that'll be around too much longer after I'm gone. You've come in contact with a lot of different players over your career. Which ones do you feel had the biggest impact on you on and off the field? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I've probably taken things from a, a bunch of different players, I think. My first guy here, you know, I saw the way guys like Dominic Easley and John Jalapio, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's never easy playing offensive defensive line and just day after day just having to hit each other, hit your own teammates, try to kill one another, you know what I mean? Right. So I think that's one thing I was kind of dealing with when I first came here. I was like, man, we were just really trying to kill each other every day, especially during camp. And those two guys were ones that stuck out of my head as guys who 
would literally go 110% every day. There was no built-up animosity. It was just in order to get each other better. And uh, there's not, I can't say there's too many people I've seen that practice harder than Dominic Easley. And, and I think off the field, I'd probably say um, last year was a good example um, with some of my 2013 guys, Anzalone and, and uh, JD, mm-hmm. just having a chance, you know, mature with them, you know, develop with them and get an extra work when we, we did. And I carried that to my offseason this year. And just, you know, understanding that, you know, if you're doing what everybody else is doing, as far as in the team or across the country, for that matter, you know, you can't expect much better results. So you always got to do something with that be film study, extra, in my case, extra rehab here or extra workouts or speed training or whatever it may be just to give yourself that leg up, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's necessary. I think that's something that the three of us kind of looked at last year. And, you know, obviously you saw pay dividends for them with their success now. So those guys you know, helped me a lot. Conversely, you've impacted a lot of players during your time as well. So I'm, I'm curious, which younger teammate do you feel like you've had the biggest influence on and why? I, I don't know if I, I can take credit for too many guys. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, as far as you know, defensive perspective and defensive line in that room and being the guy with the experience and the older guy in the room, you know, I've been around Jabari, CC, and Jakapalai is actually my locker mate. Hmm. And um, kind of seeing him mature, and it, we joke around a lot of times, but, you know, the guy's a really talented guy. I really see him having a bright future here and, and beyond here. But, um, you know, I just share my two cents, share some of the things that, you know, that I've been through. And, you know, especially after a game like you know, we just went through, even just like on a day like yesterday, a Tuesday after a loss like that, you know, I preach this all the time. We're going to be out there on a practice field sweating. It's going to be hot. It's going to be tough. Regardless, you're going to be out there. So you're either going to get better or you're going to get worse. So you might as well get better. One thing that is certainly unique about you relative to your teammates is that you're currently getting your master's degree in international business. So what piqued your interest in that field, and what do you hope to do with that degree? Um, well, my biological father that lives in Israel, he actually he's a diamond broker, so he works kind of internationally, you know, trading, selling, you know, buying rough diamonds, all types of gems, jewelries, everything. And um, it's just interesting to me to, um, you know, when I go over there and just see how he's doing business with China, with India, with Switzerland, mm-hmm. South Africa. And it's just, you know, you live in the greatest country in the world, the United States. You know, you don't really see all the uh, the upside and and, uh, and foreign economies and stuff like that. And, you know, I got my, I finished my undergrad in finance and you know, I love that. And I thought, um, you can't really get your MB, any really great NBA without getting a couple of years of working experience. So I couldn't do that. And, you know, I got the opportunity to do this international business program, which still had the, you know, you kind of get the business administration, you get, get some finance work in there. And, and you also get the opportunity to study abroad for the minimum was a week. And so I was able to go get the opportunity to go to Munich, Germany in May, right before our summer workout started. And that was a really neat experience. Got the opportunity to you know do some, you know, some presentations in front of BMW and wow. listen to, so some company tours of Siemens and a few other local companies there in Munich just kind of see, you know, how businesses, how organizations kind of work there. And it was wonderful and, and unique experience. So you obviously have an interest in traveling and, and international relations. What other countries have you really enjoyed going to and, and what's maybe on your bucket list of places you haven't been? So everyone's kind of 
you know, in, in college, you take a little trip to Mexico for spring break. So I've done that. So I can't say I've seen any, any, uh, you know, local businesses or mm-hmm. just seen how life works. So you're really going to the Americanized places there, but you know, I've been to, uh, I've been to Greece. I've been to, um, Israel, obviously, and Germany really. So that's it. But, um, a lot of my classmates after Germany they left and they traveled around Europe. And, you know, so I would love to go see, you know, England, France, Austria, just for me, I just like I I love the European feel. I loved the fact where you could walk around and you sing history. And um, obviously, a place like Florida, unless you're in uh, Saint Augustine, you're not seeing places that were built, sure, you know, hundreds hundreds of years ago. So for me, that's awesome. Just seeing, you know, um, and just meeting. And for me, it's big. I like meeting people. I like kind of assimilating yourself in the culture of a place. And and for me, that's that's the greatest reward. There's just kind of seeing, you know. You could grow up on different, you know, part of the planet as someone, but you could definitely, you know, see similarities between someone and, and just hold conversations and stuff like that. So I would definitely like to do that, you know, in the future. With your interests and also your academic accomplishments, how often do you have teammates asking you for help with their finance courses or <laughs> with uh, with money questions? Oh, that's funny. It's uh, I actually get it, you know, quite often. Um, and I think last year I was having a conversation. I think Quincy was one of Wilson couple of guys i was trying to explain what taxes are <laughs> a lot of guys don't really understand when they sign that million dollar uh, contract <laughs> not really going to get take home a million dollars right so you know it's funny i kind of bear bad news when it comes to that um after i got back from germany coach Matt kind of recognized me for the team and you know i don't go around you know boasting about anything like that but mm-hmm. he was just you know kind of giving me some kudos and i had some guys come up to me and kind of ask me so what what you teach me about the stock market investing what, what is this so i had some so i you know i share some knowledge and you know it's funny these guys are have drawn an interest and you know i think we're working on getting some speakers in here with a little more um a little more of a background than me to kind of talk to these guys but at the same time it, it's, it's great to see guys interested because one of the the horrors you see with you know guys who you know make it in the nfl is they're spending money not budgeting correctly you know mm. they're not trusting the right people so you know, I definitely offer my uh, my two cents if, if someone asks me. But um, you know, these guys they're uh, they're on the right track. You know, they're we got a great group of guys here, and and Coach Mack does a wonderful job with uh, you know speakers and stuff, teaching us about life after football. So, when you seem to have a, a pretty clear idea of what you want to do and, and a good way to get there, what is that plan exactly? Because it seems like you, you've probably thought about that in terms of where football fits in to a business career as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, first and foremost, I want to you know take this football as far as I can, whenever that ends. You know, thought about a variety of different things. One of them being, you know, maybe getting involved in you know wealth management, kind of assisting former teammates or just athletes in general, kind of understand more about money and kind of have them not just have a third party financial planner for you, but like have someone that really helps you understand what you're doing and helps you build and purchase assets that could help you, you know, in the in the long run. So. um there's that. I, I, I completed an internship with a private equity firm that you know, I was really interested in this evaluation of companies at an early stage. And that was really unique. And, and I thought I enjoyed that a lot. So uh, there's a number of things that you know, I'm interested in, obviously, um, kind of handcuffed right now as well to, to get more experience. But, um, mm. you know, I'm excited for whatever opportunity lies ahead, whether that be football for one year, five years, whatever, and then uh, getting some work after that. So we'll see where life takes me. Do you watch Ballers? Because it sounds like you're basically talking about Spencer Strasmore. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that because I actually had a build. 
I was seeing an entrepreneurship class and I built this whole model of this business that would start. Right. Mm-hmm. And like six months later, you see these commercials with the rock and, and ballers coming out. And it's literally pretty similar. Obviously it's more of a louder show. Obviously. Yes. I don't know, yes. I don't know if some of that, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't really seen too many episodes, but you know, my roommates, DeAndre Goolsby and George Powell kind of make fun of me saying that, he, that that's going to be one day, but uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about all that, but um, there's that's, worse that's things to be in life than the rock. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's very true. Final thing for you, Jordan, if we can get back to football here to wrap up. Uh, this is such a young defense that you're part of, and obviously there's a lot of questions about moving forward after last week. So what do you think are the most important areas of improvement for you guys over the course of the next few weeks? I think it's just the mental. I think it's it's the communication. It's wrapping up and tackling to the ground. And you know, we saw we had a couple, a couple of those that we messed up and really just – executing the defense uh, there wasn't any time where i felt that you know we just got outran you know out muscled i think it was just a matter of you know eyes in the wrong places and and not executing the defense so you know coach shannon and the staff put an emphasis on that moving forward and um you know we definitely watch the film and we're critical of ourselves and and we look forward to correcting those those faults going forward well, Jordan, we really appreciate your time and obviously wish you a lot of luck moving forward and hope everybody stays safe down there with your family, especially with the hurricane. So thanks again for talking to us, and we appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate you. Many of the names may have changed in Florida's defensive backfield, but the expectations remain the same. The Gators' secondary showed they're still a force to be reckoned with after taking two pick sixes to the house against the Wolverines. And it's up to first-year defensive backs coach Corey Bell to ensure their continued growth. Jeff Cardozo caught up with one of Coach Mack's newest assistants to find out how he's handling his young charges. Guys getting an understanding that it's a process. Um, You know, like I told them from day one, just because they're young doesn't mean they can't be successful. So just taking that approach and, and getting guys in the right position in the right frame of mind uh, was a great thing for us. And uh, the kids brought in, they continue to buy in. So it's, it's just a continual process for them. You know, even looking at your background, being a high school guy and coming from those ranks, have you seen it change over the last maybe 10, 15 years, guys that maybe come in right away as freshmen because of how they prepare in high school? Yeah, it has evolved a bit uh, in that respect. Uh, you know, coming in, guys being ready to play. But also it's a combination of things, um, you know, recruiting and guys uh, leaving early, like what happened here with the three guys that left early. And then the young guys getting an opportunity to come in right away, you know, and be impactful. So that's been good for them. You know, uh, sometimes it's challenging, you know, just getting those young guys out of their comfort zone and then, you know, put them in situations now at the collegiate level to, you know, experience that success. What was it like getting here? You know, people want to know who you are and where you, where you come from. Did you slow play Coach Mack when he got that phone call? I don't know, Coach. I don't know if I want to do this. Or how'd that process go? No, I, it, you know, it was it was a smooth transition. You know, of, of course, uh, when I got the call from Coach Mack, uh, the one thing I did was I asked him, you know, specifically to give uh, Coach Strong at the time a call, you know, just to make sure we was on the up and up. You know, I like to do things respectfully. Sure. And he did that, and, um, you know, of course, Charlie Strong gave me his blessing, you know, to move forward. Uh, but, you know, was excited about the call and the opportunity uh, to be here. And, and knowing the, the past of what Florida is, and we always hear the, the DBU stuff and everything like that, the, the, the expectations coming in, is that something you welcome? 
Oh, definitely. It's, it's a challenge each and every time, you, you, you know, you step out on the field here at practice or, you know, game time. It's, it's a challenge. So, you know, just um, embracing that, you know, and moving forward. Uh, you got the guys that that help you to do that. I'm surrounded by a great coaching staff here and then great players. All I have to do is just is do what I need to do to get these guys on the right track and playing hard. And uh, you know, certainly uh, tough uh, for Marcel to go down, but injuries are a part of this game. You know that. How do you guys get through that and um, you know, preparing other guys to be ready? Uh, it's a it's an everyday uh, you know uh, process and transition. Of course, we we miss him. You know that's our brother, uh, but he's still around. You know. He's visible to us. Uh, you know, those guys pick his brains. And um, he want to see those young guys do well and the guys that uh, he was here with, you know, in the past. So, you know, those guys have taken on that task. And, um, you know, they want to uphold that and prove each and every Saturday and perform at a high level. Yeah, I think we see that. You know, every year there's been a, a new guy to step up and, and be that veteran presence. And I think you get that with Duke this year. What kind of influence has he brought to these younger guys? Uh, he's been very influential uh, from, you know, from day one and, you know, and throughout the spring, uh, especially in the summer, you know, uh, embracing those young guys and, and taking them under his wing, you know, uh, teaching them the ropes a, a, a bit. You know, any questions they have, they know they can lean on Duke. Uh, and um, Duke's been there for him, which, is, which has been good for us. And for these younger guys, you know, got a, a lot of experience there. Game one against Michigan. You know, what, what did that learn? And then uh, watching the film a couple days after, what were some of the things that you saw that they were good at? Uh, the thing they didn't uh, allow it to do was, you know, the situation, um, the atmosphere to overwhelm them. You know, um, they, they went into it with a great mindset. They wanted to perform well. You know, and, and at times they did, and, and they know some, there are some things they have to work on, and they, they have continued to do that. So, you know, they're just looking forward to, to this game and, you know, going out there and playing well. All right, Coach, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. The Gators will next take the field on Saturday, September 16th against Tennessee in the home and SEC opener, and we'll talk more about that in next week's episode, which you can hear starting on Thursday. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, speaking on behalf of all Gators when I say please stay safe, and we'll see you next week in the Swamp.